And you could turn with me to Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. And if we have time, we'll flip to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 7. If you remember from last week, we started a, a new teaching series called Questions. We, we asked you a few weeks ago via the Bayou City app, I wish I knew more of what the Bible said about dot, dot, dot. And you gave us some responses and they were so great. So we're going to spend the next month or so trying to answer as many of those questions as we possibly can. I do want to address dinosaurs. We got a lot of dinosaur questions. Uh, so that probably won't be a whole sermon, maybe just a tidbit. Uh, but uh, I mean, I guess Google that. I don't, I don't know that there's a good answer, but uh, uh, except for that, obviously, they existed. We're finding their bones. <laughs> Last week's question was, can I trust my Bible? Which is really the most important question because we're going to answer all of these questions with the Bible. Uh, so you need confidence in it. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to jump online and listen to that message. When I was a teenager, my whole town did one big drawing for a ton of prizes, and they were good prizes. One was a brand new house and a brand new master-planned subdivision. Uh, another was a car, uh, an RV slash camper. There were cash prizes, all the way down to small things like gift cards. And uh, my mom was super into it. And so every day after work, she would come home with the registration papers and you could enter as many times as you want to. And so we would have dinner and she would spend the rest of the evening, sometimes recruit my sister and I to fill out her name uh, to then take them to the local mall and put them all in. And so we had hundreds of our family's names submitted and her name submitted in this drawing. So obviously on the night that they were going to do the drawing, uh, we were there. A big stage, live music, kind of a big party, lots and lots and lots of people there. And then they started with the smaller drawings and they would turn that big thing and they'd pull a name out and they worked their way up through the cash prizes, the RV, and then they got to the car and they pulled my mom's name out. And so she screamed and we screamed. And a couple of weeks later, there was a brand new red Chevy Camaro in our driveway. It was a little bit before I was turning 16. And so I was super excited that I was going to have access to this, but uh, just, uh, just a, a short time before I turned 16, they traded it in for a blue minivan. <laughs> My life has been hard. It's been, it's been very hard. But that moment that they, they pulled out her name, that was, that was gospel. Uh, yesterday, uh, I have my phone was acting up, and, uh, and so I needed to go to the store. And you, you know what it's like to go to one of those phone stores. It, it, it seems like it's organized, but I, I don't think that it is. And most of the time, in my experience, they can't help you, but they make you wait a really long time before they tell you that they can't help you. And so I was praying on the way in, God, would they be able to help me and help me quickly? And I mean, sure enough, right in there, they helped me. And you know, it, it, it was gospel. Right? Now, even if you've not grown up in church, like you're like, no, I don't, I don't think that's gospel. Like, I mean, winning a car is amazing. I don't think it's gospel. And definitely not having a good experience at the phone store is gospel. But actually it is gospel. Because back in the first century, the word gospel, euangelion in the Greek, just meant good news. So there were all kinds of gospels. There was the gospel of that somebody made dinner for me when I got home. It's gospel. It's good news. Um, 
Going to the phone store, having a good experience, it's good news. It's gospel, you and Gelion. So when Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30 in the northern part of Israel, he went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, the euangelion of the kingdom of God. But his news was so good that it forever captured that word. Now we can't use that word for just anything and everything. It doesn't mean good news anymore. It means this particular good news. All that God has made available to us in Christ. That is the gospel. And if someone asks you, can you explain to me the gospel? The only way that you could accurately explain to them the gospel is if you opened up your Bible, you started in Genesis, and you read them the entire scripture. Because gospel is all that God has made available to me in Christ. That's more than just a few bullet points. But obviously they don't have time for you to read them the entire scripture and neither do you. Second best option would just to be to start in Matthew halfway through and read them the New Testament. So they could understand all that God had made available to them in Christ. But they don't have time for that either and neither do you. So we see these summaries, these synopsis in the scripture because the apostle Paul didn't have time to teach them every aspect of the Old Testament so that they could understand just how good news this really was. And so he summarizes it in a few places, even though it's difficult to summarize something so exhaustive and glorious. And I think one of his best summaries is in the end of Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 2, you see in your listening guide, if you want to pull that out, there are seven things that I would love for you to remember that would be helpful for you the next time that someone asks you, what is the gospel, and you don't have time to walk them through the entire scripture. And I want to give you all seven right here at the top, so then we can just concentrate on these verses that we're going to read tonight. The first one, Jesus is Lord. Next, we were dead in our sins. God is rich with mercy and love. We have been resurrected with Jesus. God is glorified for his kindness to us. We receive this by faith. And now we walk in good works. We're going to start reading in the middle of the Apostle Paul's prayer that he ends chapter 1 with. He's speaking about Jesus. It says in verse 21, For above all rule and authority, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jump back up to verse 21 at the end of chapter 1. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The gospel starts with Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is not Lord, there is no good news in this world. It says that God has appointed Jesus to be far above every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion. That means Jesus is Lord of America. Jesus is Lord of Houston, Texas. He's in charge of everything. There is nothing in this world that God has not placed underneath the feet of Jesus. And then it says he gave Jesus to be the head of the church. I think Abraham Lincoln is the most universally beloved president in America's history. So imagine at the height of Abraham Lincoln's power and influence as president, if he was also the mayor of Springfield, Illinois, where he was from. Think how special those people in Illinois would have felt to say, our mayor, he's the president of everything in America. And he uses that power to especially look out for us. That's what Paul is saying about Jesus under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. There is nothing in which Jesus does not own, rule, claim. But he especially looks out for the church, for his people, his followers. Jesus is Lord. That's good news. But then the bad news, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It says we were dead in trespasses and sins. And in the scripture, when it talks about spiritual death, there's always connected to it the idea of separation. We see this in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. You remember in the story, the youngest son comes to the father and he says, I would like to start enjoying my inheritance now. I know I'm supposed to get it when you die, but I would like to fast forward through all of that. And so the son treats the father as if he was dead, takes the money, and then there's a separation. He goes off to a faraway country. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve took the fruit from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat. Death entered into the world. If they had not disobeyed God, they would have not died. Death entered the world, but then separation, God put angels to bar the entrance of the Garden of Eden so no one could get back in. Death and separation. We are dead in our sins and trespasses and separated from God because of it. And then he talks about a parade. The Macy's Day Parade is coming up on Thanksgiving. That's the official start of Christmas. I mean, I'm going to put my Christmas lights up the day after Halloween, but the official start of I'm just kidding. I mean, I would, but Amanda wouldn't let me do that because of the neighbors or I don't know, something. But the official start of Christmas is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade because Santa Claus comes down at the end of it. Right? So picture that parade. 
And then you read again, verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what the apostle Paul says is we are all dead in our sins and we're just walking along in them. Everybody is in this parade. We're just following along the course of this world. And by the way, you know who the parade is following? The prince of the power of the air. That's Paul's way of referring to Satan. So Satan is the marshal of this parade. He's the one telling us to go right and go left, keep going straight, Now it's time to stop. We don't know that because we're just going with the flow. We're just doing what everyone else is doing. We're just in the parade having a great time. We don't know who the grand marshal of this parade is. We're just following him to our death in sin and trespasses. And it says that his spirit is now at work in this world. It means, as one commentator said, we are breathing in his poison in the air all the time. That's why things like this week happen. She's just breathing in that poison all the time, unaware, walking in this parade. And the only way we can get out of it is in Christ. Now you think, well, this is not my fault. I was born in this parade. And Satan is holding me captive to it. It's not my fault. But Paul doesn't give us an out. He says among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So not only were we in the parade, we enjoyed it while we were there. We, we lived it. We made our own choices. You know, there's a movement, I think, in certain strands of Christian faith to really emphasize Jesus as the teacher and minimize his divinity, his holiness, his righteousness, his power. And, and they push forward that if we can just all follow Jesus' teachings, then everything will fall into place. But I think Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that we needed Jesus to be more than just a rabbi teaching us the way to live. We were dead. We were stuck. We needed the son of God to come and lead us out. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Those three words, three little letters, one small transitional word, but is the hope of the gospel. Because whatever situation that you are in right now or will be in the future, because Jesus is Lord, you can insert that transitional word. I was lonely, but God has given me a family at church. I was sick, but God is a healer and a preserver. I was wounded, but God was able to restore me. I don't know what difficulty you are in today, but it's the gospel hope that you are able to say, yeah, this is true, but God is rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us. I think it's easy to believe that God is loving, but it's another thing to believe that we are the targets of that love, that he has aimed that love at specifically us. But Paul makes it clear that he has a great love and he has used that great love to love us. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're alive together with Christ. We've been raised up. We're seated in heaven. If you can think back with me to the final moments of Jesus' life and then his resurrection and then after that. He, he was crucified on the cross. He was buried. Uh, three days later, he was raised from the dead. He appeared to many witnesses and then he ascended into heaven. So you have his timeline. Now you go back and you read Ephesians chapter two, you see that exact same story, except it's our story this time. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive with Christ. And now we've been raised up and we are seated with him in heavenly places, death, resurrection, ascension. So when Jesus did those things, our life was hidden in him. That's why baptism is so important and so powerful. If you've been around church for a while, you may have heard a baptism story that sounds a lot like, I grew up in church, sort of rejected it. I mean, I didn't reject my faith, but I just wasn't doing it very good. But now I'm in a different moment in my life. I'm really feeling it, and I want to get baptized just to sort of like mm, seal it. And that's good, but that's not actually baptism. Baptism is I link my life to the life of Jesus. And when he died, I also died and went under the water. And just as he was raised up, I was raised up, and now I'm coming up out of the water. It is an illustration of the gospel. Death, resurrection, and ascension. Now we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I'm guessing that every man in here has seen the movie Rudy. Uh, Rudy is scientifically proven to make every man cry. They took it into a lab. They tested it. It's official. Ladies, so if you're connected to a man who's having emotional constipation, you just turn that movie on and then you leave the house and Rudy will do the work for you. If you're not familiar with the movie, I'll give you a synopsis. You should be. It's 20 uh, years old by now, so no spoiler alert. You should have gotten on the train or been run over it by now, right? <laughs> uh, Rudy is about uh, a young man who has zero football talent. Zero. Uh, he's not physically gifted. The only thing he is really good at is working hard. And somehow, miraculously, this hard work allows him to become a walk-on at a Division I football program, Notre Dame, in the late 60s and early 70s. He, he never gets to play, ever. He doesn't get to wear a uniform, ever. That's how not good he is. And then at the last game of the season, home game, uh, everybody appeals to the coach, let Rudy, because he's such a hard worker, stand on the sideline. And so he gets to put on a uniform. It's a big deal. His dad is in the stands and they kind of have a moment. That's why every guy cries is because of the dad thing. And, and then uh, Notre Dame is going to win the game and everybody starts chanting, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. And the coach finally, for like the last two plays of the game, they're totally meaningless. Last two plays of the game, they send him in 
and then he makes a tackle because no one stands in front of him. It's not that impressive. That's just my opinion. <laughs> but for some reason, all the players come and scoop him up at the end of the game and carry him off. Now, this happened in real life, but for the movie doesn't do a good job, in my opinion, of you know, explaining why. Um, but they do. Right. Now, watch how I'm going to turn this because this is going to be magic. Right. <laughs> I think a lot of us who have grown up around church, right, assume when we get to heaven, and we would never say this out loud because this doesn't sound right. I think this is just invisible built in. When we get into heaven, right, we're going to get the equivalent of people picking up Rudy and carrying us all the way into the kingdom of Jesus fully. Now, we are going to get a reward. We are going to get a crown. We are hopefully going to get a well done, good and faithful servant. Right? But I guess I'll just speak for me. I assume that when I get to heaven, the angels are not going to be there and be like, hey, you were just nailing it down there. And we wrote you a song and we would like to <laughs> sing it to you right now. I mean, maybe that's going to happen for you. I don't think that's going to happen for me. Right? But we will get a crown and a reward and that's going to be super meaningful. And we will get a well done, good and faithful servant. But as soon as we get that, all of heaven's attention is going to be turned back to God. And they're going to sing songs to God because he was kind to me. Um, Revelation gives us this picture that the, the singing never stops in heaven. It's because people God has been kind to never stop coming in. And in heaven, they're glorifying God because, God, how could you be so kind and merciful and loving to him? What kind of God would do that? You know, there's this pressure at church to, to come and pretend to be perfect. I mean, I don't think anybody does it on purpose. It's just there. It's probably always been there. The, the truth is none of us are perfect. Life is hard and most of us are not good at it. But when we, we get together and, and we try to give everyone the perception that we are perfect, according to this scripture, we're just stealing glory from God. Because what we're saying in our attempts to pretend is I don't need any kindness. I'm fine. The person sitting next to me may need a lot of God's kindness, but I'm actually bringing a lot to the table. I'm a helper here, not helped. And, and that's why at this church, we just can't tolerate that fakeness because we want God to get all the glory he can. And we receive all of this by faith. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's by grace you've been saved. You've been rescued from a fate that you would have otherwise incurred, one author said. I mean, even the name Jesus 
gives us hints that God is saving us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we won't turn there just for time's sake. An angel has appeared to Joseph because he's freaked out by the whole Mary's pregnant situation. And the angel says, when he's born, you're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And the name Jesus, Yeshua, literally means God saves. So when we say the name of Jesus, what we are saying is God is saving through this person, the son of God born in Bethlehem, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the return. God is saving. He is saving me from a fate I would have otherwise incurred. And it's not of our own doing. I think most of us would love to have a life where we handle the day to day and God is there for us in a bind. I got the Monday through Sunday stuff nailed down, but if cancer shows up, I know who to call. If I can't control my kids, I know who to call. If the economy tanks, I know who to call. Day to day, I'm good, but I've got God there when I'm in a bind. But the truth is, is the most important fundamental thing about you, you could not help yourself with. It's not of your own doing. And this brings an awful humility. There is a humility that we love. The, man, you did amazing. That was awesome. No, hey, all glory to God. (laughs) Just want to give him praises. Stop telling me about how wonderful I am. We love that kind of humility. That's easy. That feels good. But there's an awful kind of humility. Like a few years ago, like actually a long time ago, before I was a pastor, so don't freak out, um, I got stranded at a gas station because none of my credit cards worked. And I only had enough money for gas, like in the change. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. But, um, and so, but I needed gas to get home. So I knew I had X amount of dollars and cents. And I couldn't go beyond that or I didn't have a way to pay for it. And because I'm a moron... I got distracted and pumped a lot more gas than I could pay for. And this was pre-cell phone day, so I know it's hard for you to imagine, most of you, but uh, I didn't have anybody I could call. So I had to beg for money at the gas station to pay for my gas. Nobody wants that humility. We want that first kind. But the gospel is the second kind. The gospel is, I I wish I wasn't in this situation, but I am. I'm dead, and I'm in this parade, and I'm stuck. But thankfully, God has given us a gift. He's reached out, and he's offered us what we could not offer ourselves. That's why no one can boast. And the way that you know you're boasting is if you are holding someone beside yourself to a standard of perfection. If you're upset when they're not perfect, you're boasting as if you've earned all this. And we receive it by faith. We trust and we turn our lives over to it. Now we walk in good works. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you wonder why you are here on earth tonight, 
in this place, it's so that you will walk in good works so that someone around the world, someone in our city would be able to say, God's kindness to them has become God's kindness to me. God's kindness to them has now become God's kindness to them, to me. God was kind to them and it overflowed and turned into a good work. And I saw in that good work, God's kindness to me. Now it overflows in my life to become a good work and becomes God's kindness to someone else. That's how the kingdom multiplies. God is kind to us. We work in Jesus' name. God is kind to someone else. They work in Jesus' name. God is kind to someone else. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. What is the gospel? The gospel is all that God has made available to us in Jesus. Best explained, Genesis to Revelation. Second best explained, Matthew to Revelation. If you don't have time for that, there's a good summary in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. I grew up around the church, so those seven statements I was familiar with. I knew those. But there's a difference between knowing and believing. And maybe that's where some of you are. You know these things. But have you believed these things? And so I wanted to give everyone the opportunity tonight to have faith and believe. Because it's by grace we are saved through faith. And so I brought a simple prayer. And I want us all to read it out loud. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if tonight you want to transition from knowing to believing, you recognize by the spirit of God at work in your life, that this is something that you need. Then I want to encourage you to use this as your prayer. We're all going to pray it together. If you've been a follower of Christ for quite some time, then just let it remind you of all that God has made available to you in Jesus. Would you pray this with me? I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe I am dead in sin and separated from God. God, by your love, would you resurrect me with Christ? I receive this by faith as a gift. Be glorified for your kindness to me and help me to walk in your good works. Amen. Let's pray.